Thank you, Kaysen and band. Uh, that's an important statement to sing and to cry out as God's people, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Uh, I met somebody recently that told me they were a Easter Christmas Christian, uh, where they basically just needed God at Easter and Christmas. And I, I thought immediately, how sad. How sad that that's the only times you think you need the Lord or that you feel like you need to worship the Lord. Uh, not only do we need God, we, we need what God has given us, including God's people. And so I, I am extremely grateful. As I was thinking about Thanksgiving week and things that I'm grateful for, uh, me, and, me and Allison, we are both very grateful for our church family. We are grateful for you, and we are grateful to be here in community with all of you. And I'm also grateful this morning that we have the opportunity to go to God's Word. So if you would turn to the Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. So we obviously just celebrated Thanksgiving. Christmas is on the horizon. Decorations are going up. Not here yet because we don't own the building yet. We are like weeks away. Okay, praise the Lord. Um, Can we amen that? And all God's people said... Amen. We're very excited about that. So decorations are going up. Christmas music is on the radio on pretty much every station in Mobile right now. And the other day I was riding in the car with my kids and we were listening and that song that we all know came on, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. And my daughter Abigail, she's five, and she said, teeth? Who wants teeth for Christmas? I said, well, clearly you haven't lost yours yet, sweetie. Um, So when I was a kid, uh, my parents let us come up with a Christmas wish list. This is what we wanted for Christmas. You probably had the same thing. And it didn't mean that we would get everything on the list, but we could ask. And we didn't have Amazon. We didn't have Google and all that stuff. But what we did have was the JCPenney catalog. And when that catalog came out, oh boy, that was a big deal. And I have four siblings. And we were all fighting over who got to go through the JCPenney catalog first. And we would all circle what we wanted and write our name next to it. And then we'd make our list. So start of Christmas season. Uh, today's message is all I want for Christmas and we're thinking about what do we really want this Christmas season maybe what are what are your prayers this Christmas season if you're a kid maybe what you're wanting is a bike or that gaming console that Xbox that PlayStation do they still do the PlayStation I don't know but regardless you're, you're wanting whatever that is or you're a teenager maybe you're hoping for a car or if you're a grown-up Maybe you're longing for some kind of deeper things. Maybe you're longing for comfort and hope in the midst of losing a loved one this year. Maybe you're longing for some clarity and direction about your work situation. Maybe you're longing for God to mend and heal a relationship in your family that just you don't see how that's going to happen. And so maybe you're longing for God to do something this Christmas. So as we're officially in this Christmas season, today we're going to kick off our Christmas series. And at the very start of the Christmas story, specifically in Luke's gospel, we see an account where a couple has a longing. 
They have something that is their Christmas wish, so to speak. Something they are longing for at this point in their lives. And there's two people, Zechariah, the husband, and Elizabeth, the wife. And there's a prayer that they had been praying for years. And the cry of their heart was they were longing for a child. They wanted a child so, so, so bad. And so we're going to see the story unfold, but I'm going to go ahead and do a spoiler alert. God answers their prayer. And they get a child. And I want to encourage you today and remind you that God still hears the prayers of his people. And I think what we're going to see in this account are a few things that we can take to heart as we're praying and as we're asking God to work and move. So let's go to the word of God together. Here at downtown church, we stand in the honor of the initial reading of God's word. Would you stand at this time? Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 5. In, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. All right, so today we're going to consider three lessons that we can learn from this couple, both in their prayers and in the way they live their lives. And I believe these are lessons that would help us as we are also crying out to God. Number one, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Okay, you might not realize this, but there are points in your life as a Christian that your prayers might be more powerful than in another season of your life. Now, I want to clarify, I'm not talking about age. I'm not saying when you get older, your prayers are more powerful, or even when you're younger, your prayers are more powerful. What we're going to see in God's Word today is that a pattern of righteousness has a profound impact on our prayers, and it causes them to somehow be more effective Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 6, which reads, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. We're going to eventually see that God answers this prayer for this couple. But before we do, we first see their spiritual state. This was the state of this couple. In fact, look at that verse again. And they were both righteous before God. It wasn't just the wife in the couple that was righteous. And God saw the righteousness of Elizabeth and said, I will answer your prayers. And it wasn't just Zechariah, the husband, that God looked at Zechariah and said, well, you're righteous. I will answer your prayers. No, he looked at both of them and saw that both of them were righteous before God. This married couple was not just on the same page. They were united in their righteousness before God. And God hears their prayers as a couple and God grants their request. Now, this isn't a guarantee that we will get whatever we ask for, but we do see that they were righteous before God. And I think we can be encouraged, church, that it's important that we as Couples, those that are married or those that are dating, be on the same page spiritually. And when I say the same page, that we're, we're walking with the Lord. 
There's tremendous value in that. In short, church, we see this. Our spiritual condition directly affects our prayers. Let me say that again. Our spiritual condition directly affects our prayers. And so what I think we're learning here is apparently not all prayers are equal. Now, when you hear that, you might get offended. You might think, well, wait a second. Why would someone else's prayers be more effective than mine? Or why would my prayers be more effective than anyone else's? Here's the thing. The scriptures bear witness to this truth. Check out what the book of James has to say about this. James chapter 5, verse 16 reads, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay, notice what James does not say here. James does not say, hey guys, prayer is always powerful. It's not what he says. He doesn't say to the older people in the church, hey, your prayers are more powerful because you're more seasoned. You've seen more in life, so your prayers are more powerful. Or the young, hey, you've got the childlike faith, so your prayers are more powerful. That's, that's not what James says. What James does say is the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Church, let's sit on that truth for a moment. Our righteousness matters. The way we guard our minds, the way we lock down our minds and our hearts, and we're careful about what we allow into our minds, and we're careful about what we meditate on and dwell on. We're careful about the words and the reactions that we allow ourselves to have. We're careful about the way we treat our spouse. We're careful about the way that we talk to people. We're careful about the way that we think about people. When we are living righteously, it affects, it affects our prayer lives. And in fact, it doesn't just say that we have power when we are living righteously. It says that we have great power, exceedingly abundant power. That's the kind of power we have access to by living righteously. I actually really appreciate the last few words of that verse. Look at James 5.16 again. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. As it is working. So track with me. If we're walking faithfully with the Lord, and we go to God, and we start lifting up requests to Him, and as we've been walking with him, and as we lift up requests to him, not only are our prayers doing something, they're working. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you pray, that your prayers are actually accomplishing something? There was a season in my life where I really struggled with that. I was really wondering, God, am I just throwing up prayers like a brick wall? Am I just throwing up hopes and wishes? But the Bible teaches us that as God's people are living righteously and we petition our almighty God, he hears our prayers and he is working. Our prayers are working. We see his will unfolding in this world through our prayers. Okay, so that is the positive side to prayer. There's also a negative side to prayer, if you will. So in the same way that righteousness can cause our prayers to be more effective, there can be things in our life that can cause blockages of sorts. Check out this verse. This is 
uh, Psalm 60, uh, 66, verse 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, that's sin, okay? If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You hear that? Blockage. If you're experiencing chest pains and you go to your doctor, they're going to say, you need to see a cardiologist. The cardiologist is going to order a CT scan. They might inject that dye and they'll do the CT scan and they're going to figure out if there's a blockage anywhere where blood should be flowing. What we're seeing, church, is that we need to do the same thing spiritually. There might be a reason that our prayers are not flowing the way they should. There might be a reason that our prayers are not effective as they should be. There might be unconfessed, unrepentant sin that needs to be dealt with. You might need to lay your life down and be like, God, I'm so sorry. I've crossed the line here. I've not been repenting of this habit in my life. Maybe it's a habit nobody knows about. Lay that down. Surrender that to the Lord and watch your prayers change. Watch the effectiveness of your prayers change. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were not perfect people, okay? They just weren't. There was no one perfect except Christ. There are none righteous. No, not one, the Bible says, except for Jesus. So they weren't perfect, but there was this quality of holiness in their lives. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 6 again. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Okay, so you see that word walking. That indicates a pattern. There was a pattern of holiness. There was a pattern of being blameless before God. That does not mean perfection. But what it does mean is that when they did mess up, they were quick to confess. They were quick to repent and turn away from that sin. And so you saw this pattern of holiness in their lives. And even Luke goes on to explain what the pattern was. Look at this verse again. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Okay, so here's what that meant for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Every day. They got up, and every day they thought about what God's Word says. And every day they thought about what does God's Word command, what are his, his statutes, and they cherished those truths. They considered what God's Word says, they cherished those truths, and not only that, it says that they walked blamelessly, meaning they weren't just getting head knowledge, they were letting this affect their heart. It was clearing the blockages. They were walking blamelessly before God. And the end result is we see their prayers are effective. Before we continue, I'd encourage all of us to consider. Maybe you've been wondering, does prayer work? Maybe you've been thinking through past prayers that you've prayed and you've begged God, God, please heal God, please do this. God, please open this door, whatever the case might be. And maybe you look and you see a track record of no's. I want to encourage you to consider maybe, just maybe, there might be a blockage. There might be something in your heart that needs to be let go of. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to get everything you want. You're going to get that Lamborghini and that Ferrari and that four-door Wrangler. Okay, that's not what that means. But maybe that could be the reason why you're not seeing your prayers being answered. So number one, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Number two, God hears your tears. The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is actually filled with tears. Look at verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Okay, so Zechariah, husband and wife Elizabeth, they've been trying to have a child for years, but a baby never comes. And time goes on, and they're praying. And it looks like all hope is lost. They're advanced in years. They're well beyond childbirthing ages. At least that's what they think. I've counseled with several couples through the years, and uh, that is the cry of their heart. That is what they are longing for more than anything. God, please give us a baby. God, please give me a little boy. God, please give me a little girl. That is the longing of their heart. And you know what? That is hard to deal with in our day today. And so Elizabeth would have been feeling that pain, but there was also another layer to that pain, a layer that we don't experience on the level that she experienced in her day. Because in Bible times, if a woman could not have a child for whatever reason, if she was not able to provide an heir, if she was not able to provide a son or a daughter, then it was looked at as if she had failed in her role as a woman, that she had failed in her role as a wife. And so there was this shame that women felt in Bible times if they were not able to have children. Let me share with you a couple of examples. This is from Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. That's a pretty serious statement. And that's what she was feeling. And it wasn't just because she didn't have a child. It was because she was feeling the shame and the reproach of the culture around her. She's looking at all the eyes, looking at her going, tisk tisk. why can't you have a child? And she felt that shame. She felt like she was going to die from that shame. Here's another example. Genesis 16, verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived... And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Different couple, I'm sorry, different couple. So this is Sarai who eventually becomes Sarah and Abram who eventually becomes Abraham. And so Sarai could not get pregnant. And she wanted to provide an heir. She wanted to provide children for Abraham because she's heard the promise, God's, God's going to make you more numerous than the stars in the sky, the promise that she made to Abraham. And she's like, well, I can't provide that. Maybe Hagar can. Hagar gets pregnant, and it makes it even worse for Sarai. And she feels that shame and repro reproach all over again, even more so. And so with that cultural backing, you've got Zechariah and you've got Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is feeling doubly this, right? One, she can't have kids. Two, she's feeling this pain from the culture and the city around her. So I can only imagine that there were lots of tears. I can only imagine that there were lots of sleepless nights 
Lots of crying out to God. Lots of hopelessness and shame. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. Maybe not the exact scenario. But maybe you've had a a point in your life where you're crying out to God, God, please do this. You're begging and you're pleading with God. And maybe for whatever reason, the answer was either no or there was no answer, seemingly. And when that happens, uh, kind of a domino effect can happen. We might find ourselves in a position where we're questioning, should I even keep praying this anymore? Clearly, it hasn't worked yet. Or maybe you're thinking, should I pray at all? Does prayer work at all? And then maybe you're still a Christian, but you don't really see the value of prayer. So maybe you just say the blessing. God, bless this cheeseburger. The nourishment of my body. And you just say those prayers out of obligation. And what you can see is that before long, your prayer life is null and void. There's no substance behind your prayers. I want to share with you a verse in just a moment from the Psalms that that teaches us about what the content of our prayers should should have. But before we get there, I, I want to encourage you. Prayer is not some ritual God created to just make you feel spiritual, okay? It's not an obligation. It's not some duty. It's something that we get to do, church. We get to call out to God, and God hears, and God responds to those prayers. And so as we're calling out to God, we should want to be honest with him. I so want my kids to be honest with me. I want them to tell me when they're hurting, when they're scared, when they're overwhelmed. I don't want them to say, Father, thank you for this food. Goodbye. I don't want that. I want them to be honest with me. And our prayer should be more than that as well. Check out this verse from Psalm uh, 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Church, how should we pray? What should our prayers sound like? We need to push past the blessing. Blessings are good. Nothing wrong with that. Give God thanks in all things, right? In all circumstances, including your food, okay? But you know what? We need to share with him our deepest, darkest recesses of our heart. We need to share with him the fears that we have. We need to share with him the longings of our heart. We need to share with him whatever we're feeling. Pour out your heart before him. And the reason we should and can do that, church, is because God cares. He really does. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, right? Check out this verse, Psalm 56, verse 8. You have kept count of my tossing. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God is keenly aware of all of your sleepless nights. He keeps count of the tossings. He puts your tears in his bottle. He doesn't dismiss what you're feeling. He doesn't gloss over what you're feeling. For the last several years, uh, I've also served as a chaplain uh, visiting in hospitals. And uh, when I was doing the training for that chaplaincy work, 
uh, I was taught a question you can ask because there's times you walk into a patient's room and there's just tears. No words, just tears. A question we were taught to ask as chaplains is to, is to say very gently, very softly, I'm so sorry. Would you mind telling me what those tears are saying? And that, that question has stuck with me. Because if you've been there, and we all have, when, when, when the tears are flowing, and you're mourning, and you're grieving, and you're really, really sad, every one of those tears has a thousand words behind it. You are feeling depth there. You are feeling lament. You are feeling sorrow. And know this, God knows the depth of your sorrow. He is not dismissing what you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're feeling. And you know what? He cares. Praise God. God Almighty, the God of the universe, cares about little old me. He cares about us. We see that he cares about our tears in this life, but we also see the eternal side of this as well. Check out Revelation 21 verse 4, which reads, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Did you know that God's heart is to comfort you? That's what he wants to do. When he sees the tears flowing, when he sees what you're feeling, he cares. He really cares. And he wants to console you. He wants to comfort you. Yes, here in this life. Yes, here this week and next week, but in eternity to come. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, for those things will be gone. Mourning, crying, pain, former things. Why? Because of Jesus. In light of the gospel of Jesus. In light of the resurrection hope of Christ. Those things will be gone. And we will not deal with those things anymore. In eternity to come. One last point I'd like to share with you. Number three. God's delays are not necessarily denials. God's delays are not necessarily denials. Uh, sometimes our kids ask us for things, me and my wife, and sometimes we say yes, and sometimes we say no. We as the parents know what's best, and there's some things that they just can't comprehend. And it's very much the same with us and God. There's some things that are, there's a lot of things that are just above our pay grade, okay? We can't comprehend. We have finite minds. God is infinite in knowledge and wisdom. That being said, when we pray and God doesn't respond right away, we need to understand sometimes delay is not necessarily denial. And we do see that here in this story. Look at Luke chapter 1 verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Okay, so I can imagine the conversation at the dinner table between Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're eating dinner one night and be like, well, we wanted kids, but honey, that ship has sailed. Uh, that's just not going to happen. We are both old, honey. Love you. Mean it. But not going to happen. Yet. But with God, all things are possible, right? Look what happens. Uh, by the way, I, I appreciate um, 
what was going on when God answers this prayer. Look at Luke 1, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there, were, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Okay, the ship has sailed. No hope, honey. Sorry, we can't have kids. God's silence is obviously a resounding no. And yet, what did Zechariah do? He kept doing what he was supposed to do. Look what it says there, uh, verse 8 again. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty. So here's an encouragement for us, church. Don't stop doing what is right. Don't stop doing what's right. Even if you haven't gotten the answer to your prayer, don't stop doing what is right. Uh, Pastor Allen preached a message here recently on waiting on the Lord. And I loved that message specifically because he, he reminded us that waiting on the Lord is not like when you go to the doctor's office and you wait and you wait and you just passively wait. Waiting on the Lord is meant to be active. You're, you're supposed to be actively serving the Lord. So what did Zechariah do, even though he had prayed, and even though he had longed for God to work, and he didn't see God work in that way? He did what he was supposed to do. He did what was right. He went to work. He did his priestly duties, and God answered his prayer. And we also see something else in this account. God's plans are better than ours. Look at Luke 1, 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Okay, so not only were Zechariah and Elizabeth going to get their prayers answered, a boy, praise God. Not only that, they were going to have a boy come along that was going to do things that would just boggle their mind. This would be John the Baptist, the front runner of Christ, the one who has come to prepare the way of the Lord. And the Bible says that they would be filled with joy and gladness when they saw that boy. If we could go back and ask Zechariah and Elizabeth saying, you know, hindsight being 2020, would you rather God have answered your prayer way back then? Or are you pretty content with how things turned out? I'm pretty sure they would say, I'm pretty content with how things turned out. Because God's ways are better than our ways. God had a better plan than what we could come up with. And we need to take that truth to heart. I don't know what you're praying for in this season of life, in this time of year. Maybe it is a work situation. 
Maybe you have a child that's not made a profession of faith and you're burdened for that child. Maybe you're praying for your marriage. Maybe you're praying for your family. Maybe you're praying for something going on in our city or even nation. Church, let's not stop praying. Let's be encouraged that our God hears our prayers. But you know what? We do need to check our hearts. We do need to see if there's any blockage there. I'll allow a minister from the 1700s to have the final word. And this is what he had to say to the church in the 1700s along the lines of prayer. He said, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. May we all, church, take a moment to consider how we need to respond to the Word of God this morning. Maybe today you're burdened and you're convicted about a sin or sins in your life that you've not confessed to the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to open up this altar and you're welcome to come kneel or you're welcome to just pray where you are. We'll have a pastor down front, Jacob, he would love to pray with you as well. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that it is living and it is active and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And Lord, we thank you for the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth. May what you've done in history past encourage us and remind us of your faithfulness today. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I don't know the longing of their hearts. I don't know their emotional and spiritual state, but God, you do. And I ask that you would do something in their life that only you can do in a way that only you can do it, that you might receive all of the glory in their lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope we have in Christ. It is in your son Jesus' name we pray.